That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Hey Jake, well, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Aaron, and uh, here we are. We're recording uh, for uh, Low Sunday, um, what's uh, affectionately known as the first Sunday of Easter. Why, is it, why, do, why do you think it's called Low Sunday? Uh, because everybody's exhausted. The we- so this is the second Sunday of Easter. Uh, it's the one right after Easter Sunday. Last Sunday, it was, uh, you know, Jesus Palooza, flowers everywhere, uh, um, you know, surprise appearance by Kanye. It's like Coachella, but church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah. you know, we're all, we're all exhausted. And so, so low Sunday, also, you know, your volunteers are tired, you're Everybody's just tired. So yeah. low Sunday is the Sunday after Easter where maybe maybe attendance is a little bit down, mm. people a little bit tired. Uh, this is you know, also you're, you're, yeah. This is also affectionately known as a um, assistant preaching Sunday. And so <laughs> if you're an assistant, you're probably gearing up. This is your moment for all 25 <laughs> people. So <laughs> yeah, Ben DeHart and Neil McGowan, if you're listening, these are the uh, these are Jake's minion and my minions uh, at our respective parishes. If you guys are listening. Good luck. This, this episode's dedicated to you. So anyway. uh, and to associates and curates everywhere. everywhere. Um, <laughs> we love you, uh, second class uh, citizens. Anyways, <laughs> JV team, you're the best. It's <laughs> uh, really funny. So, <laughs> so uh, we open up with Acts chapter five, verses twenty-seven through thirty-two, and uh, really through the season of Easter, there are these uh, these readings from the book of Acts, and uh, and uh, to really articulate the ramifications of the resurrection as this gospel goes from Jude from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth, and uh, we see uh, the apostle Peter and the disciples on trial. Um, before uh, the temple police um, uh, and uh, and the council being told to stop talking about the name of Jesus. Yeah, so the background on this, uh, again, if the last Sunday people were in church, it was the resurrection. Uh, this Now we're all into early church history, and so there's a little bit that we've skipped over. So first the disciples were terrified, they were hiding in Jerusalem after Jesus' death, and then he comes back, he's alive, and then Pentecost happens. And so this is all after Pentecost. So Peter has gone from the guy that they saw, you know, a week before, doubting uh, that Jesus would rise from the dead, denying Jesus, running away from Jesus. And now Peter is on trial because he has done what he couldn't do before. He has stood up for Jesus. Like the old hymn says, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And so he's been healing, he's been teaching. And a really cool thing that has happened in this chapter is they were, so they were arrested for teaching this heretical message in the temple and an angel helps them break the law. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Uh, An angel helps them break out of jail. And, um, and so then they keep teaching. They don't, they haven't learned their lesson. They're not scared straight. Uh, Mm. They come out and they keep teaching the name of Jesus. And so now they're, they're arrested again and on trial again. 
Yeah, it's really powerful, the response of the council here and the high priest kept questioning them, you know. And it's so funny when people don't understand the gospel and the meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when religion is your main thing, you oftentimes only understand religion and you hear the preaching as a guilt trip. Oh, that's so heavy. You're so negative on people. If you notice, they're like, you're determined to bring this man's blood on us. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Peter basically drops it, and he's like, first of all, we're uh, following God rather than your authority. And uh, But the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree, and God is exalted to bring, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. So the kind of one of the interesting things here in dynamics here is that um, when you understand God as a taskmaster and you understand God as the God of the law alone— then you only hear it as a guilt trip. But what Peter is saying is, no, no, no. This death and this resurrection, which we're all responsible for, is for the sake of bringing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That is sweet news when you know that you're a sinner. It's good news. Yeah, and I think it's interesting here that the uh, high priest is saying, why are you trying to bring this blood's man on us, Mm -hmm. or this man's blood on us? Um, And uh, the, the thing is, his blood is on them. It's on all of us. And if they would just admit that, uh, like that's what they need. They need to accept that and be grateful for his, his, as you said, the mercy and forgiveness that's offered to it. It's like, why are you determined to bring this man's, like as if they had any choice in the matter. His blood yeah. has been given to everybody. We all are complicit in his death. And the, the grace is all for us. But here he's trying to say, no, I don't need it. He's, it's sort of like the same thing as Peter, as we saw on Monday Thursday. No, you can't wash my feet. Like, yeah. I, don't want, I don't want your mercy. And right here you see the heart of the gospel. The heart of the message of the gospel is not simply love. The heart of the gospel is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And so, you know, when you see, when you see uh, religion as a religion of law of lo- alone, to have the blood on you is very scary. But when you realize that the, the gospel is about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, to have the blood of Jesus on you is actually good news because it's what makes you mm-hmm. actually righteous. And, um, yeah. and, so, and so it's really funny. And that is the difference between law religion versus gospel religion. Gospel religion says, actually, when it is that bad, that's when, that's when you're up to hear the good news. That's when, that's when you're open to the gospel, as opposed to, oh, his, his blood better not be on me because that's bad because yeah. I'm busy working it yeah. out. So his yeah, blood there's... is on you and it's good news. That's right. And he here you see the high priest in trying to say his blood's not on us, is trying to get out from guilt by, obviously he feels guilty. That's why he's resisting so much. And he's trying to get out from it like your, like your kids do, or my kids do. You're not your kids because your kids are so obedient. They're perfect. Um, But totally sanctified. Unlike their dad. uh, (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Jake. Um, but so, uh, you know, when you, when you accuse your children of something that I didn't do it, you know, clearly they did it. Uh, but they're denying the fact, because if you're trying, if you're on the self-justification project, that's how you operate, um, as opposed to saying, yep, it's me. And, uh, so that even this resistance shows that they're very much still in that kind of law mm. mindset as, as you say, um, as opposed to admitting, by the way, y- your comment about Christianity not being love. Uh, I want to come back to that because some people listening may be like, what? That's, that's, but divide first John, God is love. Yes. But I think, um, I was thinking about this recently because Fleming Rutledge, uh, um, whom we love, uh, past Mockingbird speaker, two time speaker, um, 
an amazing author and, and, and one of our patron saints, she tweeted recently, Christianity is not about forgiveness. Uh, and I was like, wait, Fleming, where are you going? I, I say that all the time. I felt personally rebuked. Christianity is about forgiveness. And she said, and I think this was a good point, Christianity is about justification because forgiveness just on its just on its own doesn't uh, deal with the horrors and evil that happen in the world. Um, and the justification of Christ, uh, of humanity through Christ, does include forgiveness, but it's because of the sacrificial death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which deals with and atones for the evil in the world. So, and I think I think that's sort of something that you're getting at here. It's not just love, uh, as great as love is, it's love, as Brene Brown says, there's blood on the floor. There's something, there's a price that's been paid and it calls on us to uh, repent, meaning not just stop sinning, that's a very kind of juvenile way of thinking, about it, but um, return your whole orientation of life from one where you're trying to get it done, either through self-righteousness or hedonism, whichever way you're reacting against the law, but turning from that to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. End, end of, and that's uh, monologue. Thank you. And, that, and that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> because, I know, Jake. Uh, I know. Because uh, what I'm trying to do is, is get people away from um, love as an abstraction. And right. uh, so we can talk about love, but in, if, unless you're talking about love in the regards of a of of with that involves blood and atonement, as opposed to as we talked about last week, a celebration meal, you know, with a yeah. bunch of liturgical dance, like that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is love that leads to the forgiveness of sins. And so there we go. Um, yeah. So, so tie yeah, it no, all you in. Gotta, you, you got to make it real. You got it. It's you know. You think about visiting somebody in a hospital room who feels left out. Henry Nouwen tells a story of a woman who had a stroke at a young age and her face was drooping. Her husband could have stood across the room and said, "Love you, honey. Praying for you. Hope you get mm -hmm. better." Uh, but instead, he crawls into the bed with her, curls his body around hers, and kisses her, and has to sort of bend his mouth to fit hers. Um, and just it's this total amazing acceptance and incarnating of his love. I mean, that's 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 an, an example. It will fail. But that's the sort of thing. You, God is love is, is abstract. The cross is real. And uh, that is the perfect segue to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, where St. John actually defines what this love is all about. To him who loves us, and not just put a pat on our head or gave us a little blue sprinkles on us, but to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Amen. This Christian love is not an abstraction, as some of our colleagues like to make it. Christian love is tangible, it, um, and, and it's hardcore. And because of that blood, he has made us into a kingdom of priests, serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, yeah, and if if you're a new listener, by the way, you may not realize that Jake, his spiritual gift is the segue. Uh, he is a master at connecting passages, uh, uh, disparate passages. Some have the gift of teaching, some prophecy, some some tongues, some interpretation of tongues. Jake has the gift of the podcast segue. Absolutely. Well, the book of Revelation, and remember, if you're going to preach from the book of Revelation, say it right. It's not Revelations, plural. It's, Thank you, Jake. It's one revelation. And so, That's right. And, I love you. I love <laughs> you so much right now. <laughs> And um, thank you. Um, uh, but the point is, is that in this revelation, uh, this is the prologue where uh, John begins to see uh, the great vision of the resurrected Lord um, uh, in all of his triumph and his majesty. 
Yeah, uh, and uh, I think I think the thing, if you wanna if you wanna hit on something in this passage, uh, it would be the thing that you've said that Jesus's love for us is through his blood to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. There's no love if we're still in bondage. There's no love if we're not pardoned and our sins have not been atoned for. So all that is in here. And there's also an eschatological thing here too. I mean, you could get into that. He's coming. Like there's a there's an end. But yeah, you were. I think you had a. And here's like you were and here's something. yeah. And here's the good news for the religious people, like people who the religion of the law. You know, the good news is here is he's coming with clouds and every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. You know, uh, yeah. he's he's coming and and now you can say that like. Now, without the gospel, if he's coming for you, boy, especially those who pierced him, you better run for the hills. But this is the God of all comfort. This is the God Mm -hmm. of all mercy and grace. And so when he's coming for you, especially you who are his enemies, he's going to envelop you with his pierced hands and make you his children. Uh, His blood is the one that covers you and makes enemies into children. And I'm feeling I'm feeling this the spirit of a segue ministry from you, Jake, now, because I feel like that's exactly what happens in the passage from John's gospel, John 20, where the pierced hands of Jesus do embrace Thomas. So this is this story, the Doubting Thomas story. It's uh, it's usually read the second Sunday of Easter, uh, uh, which I think is great. Um, because you've got people that maybe came to church on Easter Sunday. It's been a while since they've been in church. Maybe they say, this was not terrible. I'll come back next Sunday, but I'm not sure if I believe all this stuff. So you get this great story of God in Christ showing grace to somebody who's a skeptic, somebody who's doubting, somebody who doesn't have it all together. So uh, uh, what's the what's the background here, Jake, in this in this passage? What's the What's the little plot here? Sum it up for us. Well, I think essentially what's happened is, is this is right after the resurrection, and um, and uh, Jesus has appeared first to the ladies and then to uh, the apostles, and uh, you know, and he appeared to him. In a room. Ladies, uh, and then uh, and then, but where is Thomas? You know, where in the world is Thomas? Um, you know, you some think he was out for a massage, others think he was out hiding from the Jews. Some think it was it was probably he was out probably out for a smoke break of some sort, yep. trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life. Uh, this is He's very vaping. this is very but the, but the interesting thing here is um, uh, there is uh, Thomas skepticism is not necessarily the problem. Uh, honest skepticism uh, can eventually be used by the Holy Spirit to bring you to the truth. Um, it's cynicism, the one that uh, that that like basically it doesn't matter what what I what you prove to me, you know what I mean. I don't believe it. That is the problem, and uh, that is a mm. good kind of preaching thing you can touch on here. The difference between skepticism and cynicism. Yeah, uh, and so I have a little story about this uh, passage. Yeah. I was a freshman in college, and I went to a church near campus. It was um, I think my first Sunday that I'd gone to gone to church while I was in college. And this was the passage. And the preacher took this verse where it says, you know, uh, Thomas, you know, verse 24, Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. And of course, when they tell him that they saw Jesus, he doesn't, he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. And then, of course, a few days later, Jesus does appear and has this wonderful encounter with Thomas and and uh, all that. But the preacher took this thing that Jesus wasn't, that Thomas wasn't with them when Jesus came, that he was not in this room. 
and the argument she made was that uh, Thomas didn't need a resurrection in order to be out there doing the work that Jesus commanded us to do, which I felt even in my young college freshman uh, small brain, I was like, wait a second, that's not actually in the text. It just says he wasn't there. As you said, he might have been out getting uh, his hamstrings worked on. He could have been, uh, he forgot to pick up the milk and he had to go out and get some. Uh, you know, Peter was always uh, getting into the Bud Light and they just run out. And so he was make, he was picking up a case down at the <laughs> bodega. So we have no idea what he was doing. So to say that he was out serving and helping the poor or feeding the hungry or whatever without the resurrection... He didn't need it. It's just not here. It's just, and the whole passage, the whole point of the passage is that the resurrection matters. And it and does. you and you have to believe. And it's so important to Jesus that Thomas get this, that he shows so much grace to him. Whatever you need, Thomas, uh, here I am. Like, if you need to touch the wounds, go ahead and touch them. And also, blessed, uh, Jesus says to those who have not seen and yet come to believe. So believing that we've seen Jesus believing that his resurrection is the real deal and not some myth or fairy tale. That is, that's, that's the whole point of this passage. And it was just one of those examples of somebody taking a verse out of context, twisting it and making the passage mean the opposite of what yeah. it is. I think, uh, you know, that's, I mean, I think that's the very, thanks power. for letting me get that off my chest, hey, man. You need to, you need to. Um, uh, but the point, like, I think that that's a great point is that, you know, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless yeah. I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my fingers in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And I, th I think that's so I mean, that is like Thomas is planting his flag and yeah. Jesus comes into the room once again as a merciful savior and doesn't smack Thomas in the face with his wounded hands, but says, peace yeah. be with you. And yep. then he says to it, Thomas, "Put my put put it put it right here. Come on." And yeah. uh, you know, I'm not sure if Thomas actually had to do it, but uh, Thomas does say, "My Lord and my God." And this is another interesting thing here is that when Jesus, when Thomas says, "My Lord and my God," you'll oftentimes hear people say, "Oh, Jesus never made the point that he was God." Well, right here, uh, Jesus doesn't correct Thomas. He says, "Like it's like almost like, yep." And have you believed because you've seen me? And this is the word for the congregation, um, you know, because you and I have not had a physical experience of Jesus walking into a room and touching the hands, but that um, belief is actually created by the word that's preached. And so he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, because belief in Jesus is actually the will of God. And so the will of God comes about by hearing this word that you, dear preachers, have been given the gift to deliver. And so, and that is Jesus is risen from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins and says, peace be with you. And that word has the power to create within the doubting Thomas of all of us, the ability to say my Lord and my God from the heart and actually mean it. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen this over and over again uh, here at, at St. Albans, um, as, as at Calvary St. George's and any of these places that you would find that are sort of uh, parishes that and churches that are that preach this message, which is the message: mm -hmm. um, forgiveness of sins. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, over and over and over again, you see people begin to realize the light comes on that God loves them and has forgiven them, and that Jesus is for them, and His death and resurrection are for them, and they begin to believe. Um, 
where there's other churches that sort of want to argue people into belief or use apologetics to argue people into belief, um, which is not, um, I mean, that'll, that'll do some work sometimes, uh, but, but yeah, the, the encounter with the grace of God the, and the forgiveness of God through the death and resurrection, an encounter with the blood, I mean, that, that'll, that'll do it. And I think uh, the, the, the beautiful thing here, I, I have another thought. Okay, end of first thought, now second thought. Um, this uh, encounter, as you mentioned, I think shows the grace of Jesus in that he doesn't get mad at Thomas for his doubt. And there are people who doubt all the time. And you've probably had them across from in your office just confessing their lack of faith and feeling guilty about that. But again, we tend to look not to what the Bible says about God, but to our own assumptions. So we think God is mad at us for not having enough faith. If you want to know what God is like when somebody comes with not a lot of faith, look right here. The other thing too, that I think I love Jesus's sensitivity as a pastor here, he realizes that Thomas is grieving. Like Thomas is kind of throwing a bit of a tantrum here about his own loss of a friend that he's traveled and given up everything for for the last three years. And so he comes back. He didn't see Jesus. So he's kind of angry. He's grieving and he's in the anger stage. And so he just throws, he's like a five-year-old with a little tantrum. Unless I see, I won't believe. And Jesus is gracious. He's compassionate to this child, um, Thomas, in his grief. Uh, and I think, you know, you can know pastors out there, if you're ever talking to somebody who doubts God and who's struggling with their faith, who's, uh, you know, doubting Thomas or Thomasina, re- you know, realize here that what's often under that doubt is grief. Mm. What's often under that doubt is pain, um, some trauma, some difficult experience. I don't know if I can believe in, in the God who let that thing happen to me or whatever. Yeah. And that requires a pastoral response, which we have here. Uh, Absolutely. Jesus. And it's really summed up in the, um, in the very last line of our gospel reading. Um, you know, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Be these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, and that through believing you may have life in His name. Um, and that, and the truth is, is that that word um, has the power to um, touch our grief. You know, like this goes mm-hmm. back. You're not gonna, like, you're not gonna get a resurrected Jesus. But by that, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works through this word and through this promise. And uh, just really, um, it, it can touch our grief. This is written so that you might believe, because in the wounds of Jesus, all of your fear, all of your guilt, all of your shame have been taken into those wounds. And uh, you have, you are, and you will be made whole. That's the promise yep. of the gospel, covered in his and blood. I, and, yeah, and if you are in a church uh, that has communion regularly, and I think many of our uh, listeners are in those kind of liturgical churches. Uh, you have a great gift to your people in that after you preach on this passage, if this is the one you preach on, you're going to lift up some bread and you're going to break it. And in our in our prayer book, it says that this is called the fraction uh, for non-clergy uh, or other denominations. So the fraction, the breaking of the bread. Usually, the bread is put in a place where people can see it, and then the priest breaks the bread in half. And the prayer book instructs us that there should be silence at that point. You've got to take a beat, a pause to look at this body who's broken for you. That's what it's supposed to remind us of. And then this broken bread is given out to the people. You don't get whole bread, you get broken bread that is given out. Jesus' mm. body is broken for you. And um, and so 
that's there's there's a connection here between Thomas touching the broken body of Jesus uh, and that this is what helps him realize, my Lord, oh my God, this is for me. So every person that's going to come up to the altar rail and take communion, they're going to touch this broken body of Jesus and it realize it's for them too. And so, you know, you can help people. I would, I, you know, if I was preaching this, I might say something about, you know, as you come forward, just remember that this broken body is for you, even with your doubt and your shame and your that's fear great. and all of that. That is good. And uh, that sounds like an well, amazing... Well, I am a highly trained professional, Jake. Well, yes, you are. Especially when it comes to love. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not resentful. Uh... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but this is a great place, I think, to bring uh, our show to a conclusion. Oh, wait, I have, I have one thing. Oh, one go ahead. Thing. Uh, so, listeners, this is going to drop sometime around April 21st. And if you are... Uh, in the New York area or near an airport. You can get to New York very easily, and there's always last-minute fares and stuff like that. So the uh, 12th annual Mockingbird Conference in New York, our big annual sort of flagship conference at Calvary St. George's. If you want to see Jake's office, if you want to see a live recording of this podcast, if you want to see a professional yo-yo artist and hear David Zoll and uh, Alfie Cohn and all these incredible speakers that are coming. It's uh, coming up this weekend in New York City. So the conference will begin on Friday and um, or Thursday night and be there Friday and come on and then finish up on Saturday. So uh, come to Mockingbird NYC. You won't regret it. It'll. Uh, I, I. I'm not. Um, I'm not Garrison Keeler, who always said sort of sarcastically, Lake Wobegon was all the, you know, all the women are strong and the men are good looking and all the children are above average. Um, this is a true thing. Um, Mockingbird is a place of grace for sinners and weary people. It will actually change your life and refresh you. So Amen. that's that's my plug. And buy Dave's book. Also. Seculosity. Seculosity. On all. Hashtag. Yeah, go. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps it up. Today's episode brought to you by Seculosity and uh, all um, associate preachers everywhere. Have fun on the second Sunday of Easter, folks. See you in New York. Peace. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. It's